0: Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. This is a special discussion about the French President Emmanuel Macron's big speech on the future of Europe. We've now seen the German elections, there are negotiations about forming a coalition and Macron wanted to get in there before any deal has been agreed to lay out what he hopes to see at the heart of a plan to reform the European Union. And to help me make sense of this in a hotel in East Germany, I have Manuel Lafond-Habnui, the head of ECFR's office in Paris, and Josef Janning the co-head of our office in Berlin. So, we've just stopped listening to this speech. Macron's dulcet tones are still ringing in our ears. What do you take away from that, Manuel?
1: Well, it was meant to be a major speech. It was very long. There was a lot of proposals, uh, sometimes old proposals, sometimes new. Uh, Most need further details so that we have a better idea of what they mean. But... Basically, what Macron wanted to achieve with that is give a sense of direction, he insisted that this was not about process, budget or treaty, but that was about what's the long-term direction uh, for the EU. He outlined six areas which he thinks are strategic for, as he said, a united, democratic and sovereign Europe. And for each of these areas, he adds several proposals to flesh them out. and. Uh, serve as symbols of Europe moving forward on those six areas, which are security and defence, a lot of proposals on that, whether it's defence or internal security, migration, development assistance, environment and climate and energy, digital and what he called monetary and industry sovereignty, which is the Eurozone governance, but not only the Eurozone governance. Um, what we can take away from that is precisely that a lot of people were expecting clearer proposals on the Eurozone governance and that was only one aspect of one of the key six themes. Surely that has to do with what happened in Germany in the election and I think we'll get back to that uh, later. Another thing that he outlined with his speech is the way to move forward. Um, and. It, it defended very fiercely his views of the need for a more flexible union, a more flexible European Union. He fleshed it out by saying that there should be, on almost all those topics, to begin with closer Franco-German cooperation, including uh, calls for a new Élysée Treaty between the two countries. The Élysée Treaty dates from uh, Adenauer and de Gaulle in the 60s, Uh, but more broadly he defended cooperation in flexible formats, and obviously Eurozone uh, governance is one. But he also mentioned that in terms of the relation between the EU or the UK, or in terms of what do we do with our enlargement policy, for instance, what do we do with, with the Balkans. I think, as you said, that has to do with the German uh, elections. Uh, a major speech before the election would have might have been problematic in the German context. Anyhow, a a major speech later, once there's a coalition agreement in Germany, would have been too late. So there was this short window of opportunity before the negotiation begins to set out what is the proposal from France to Merkel in particular. He mentioned Merkel uh, specifically, saying that he believed that she will step up to the plate and uh, look at history, look at what is needed, look at uh, audacity and do the right thing which obviously would be approving his proposals, or most of them. But that is not just about Germany. Clearly, uh, there clearly is something about France there too, and that's a big difference between Macron and Hollande. Hollande did try to launch new European initiative after the Brexit referendum that, that was late in his presidential term, that was under the pressure of external events, that was much more narrow in terms of... Uh, how he he wanted to do things more realistic and more targeted to what the opinion wants to do. Macron said basically enough with the post 2005 referendum taboos, we need to move forward and we need to open up debates. And one of the good illustrations of his idea to open up debate is his idea of having democratic convention all across Europe and opening debate about the future of the EU in as many member states as possible before the 2019 election to the parliamentary, uh, to the European Parliament. So, both in substance and in the way he wants to deal with European policy, that was his most comprehensive uh, exp- explanation for what he wants to do. So you framed the discussion really well, I suppose
0: because you wanted to talk less than, than Emmanuel Macron's hour and a half of, of speaking. You didn't go through the specific proposals. maybe. Josef, um, you want to run through some of the more eye-catching ones that caught your attention. But we, we might be here for an hour and a half if we try to look at all the proposals. But which were the ones that that you found most dramatic?
2: Yeah, uh, That's virtually impossible to go through all of it without taking the same time. You know, but it seems to be part of the strategy is to, to have a rather rich menu with plenty of items in there because that will enhance the possibility that a rather diverse group of people will say yes to some uh, or more uh, of these proposals. This, what are they? You no, know, there, there are some, you know, the, the, the kind of the softer proposals is, is about this, this kind of European society, this fabric of relationships between uh, uh, countries, European universities in all member states. That's I think, is an interesting idea. The, the appeal to, to the language capacity of Europeans, uh, the uh, idea that by 2024, the majority in an age group should have spent six months um, working or studying or living in another EU member state. So this kind of is the soft side of integration that, uh, that is not very technocratic you know, but uh, is, is designed to kind of make people feel more European. On the other hand, you have some rather kind of hardcore uh, proposals. The European prosecutor uh, on terrorism basically uh, would be the extension of the mandate of the prosecutor which has just been created, also as an, a flexibility initiative, because not all member states are participating in this. Now, now it is for transborder crime, but then it would be extended into terrorism, raising the question if then this would not necessarily also mean that you would have to uh, have a much closer cooperation uh, on uh, police uh, and intelligence, in order to to equip the prosecutor with the kind of information
0: yeah uh, well, don't forget work. he called for a european intelligence agency as well yeah. so yeah did, uh,
2: so so the then you have this european asylum agency Yeah. if it really is to to be something other than a monitoring institution it presupposes a common european asylum legislation which also means that in order to do something like this you would need to change the treaties you would have to pull the sovereignty over asylum legislation um, uh, on the European level because then you could have in fact one uh, agency to deal with asylum applications for all of the participating member states. You know, uh, another thing that I think will strike many people outside of France as very French is the idea to have an innovation agency. You know, is the idea that on, on the cutting ed- edge of technology the state is better equipped to kind of launch this than businesses are.
1: Very French indeed, although he mentioned the U.S. DARPA as a model, Yes, he did. He did indeed. Which is on yep. defense specifically. Yep. So it may say something about what he has in mind.
0: Yep. Do you want to, should we rush through a few of the other more eye-catching ones, like on, on security and defense, for example? Do you want to talk about some of those issues?
2: Yes. Well, uh, Macron has proposed the uh, a common intervention force without giving any uh, details.
0: By 2020?
2: Well, yeah. By 2020. 2020. I, I say in practical terms, it cannot be something other than the battle group uh, concept because otherwise a, it. Yeah, you would need a treaty change uh, to this, uh, which is not to be done by 2020. And uh, probably there is no chance to get this established uh, on the EU level. It will most likely be kind of a, an intergovernmental agreement on this.
0: And a common defense budget as well.
2: Well, a common defense budget, you know, uh, probably he should have said a common defense budget because, you know, on
1: top, of national.
2: on top of national budgets, because I think that is what he has in mind, because otherwise it would raise all sorts of other questions, because then if you have a or the common defense budget, then you would also have to have a common defense and not just a common intervention force.
0: So
1: some of the other ones... And just the intelligence, um, it's an academy, not an agency. Intelligence Academy.
0: All right. And so on Development Aid, there was a thing which was quite eye-catching as well. Establishing a financial transaction tax to pay for money to Africa.
1: Yeah, it says that um, we need to get better on development assistance. And one thing that we should be doing is fund this uh, increased effort with the revenue from that... uh, financial tax on financial transactions. Another. And he, he also suggested a, f- a few areas, which are areas that he has also suggested in a French context as priority, which are education, health and energy. And that, came, that part came after his uh, priority on migration. So the migration was second and uh, development was third. And obviously, there's, there's yeah, a there's link a there. Yes. And what happened in in the area that um, people had been
0: waiting for the most, the the Eurozone things? Were there any new ideas there? Was it just a restatement of the old ideas?
2: Well, there was a restatement of the old ideas there. Uh, The budget, uh, the finance minister uh, and the parliament. So actually to keeping it that short in such an extensive um, and and broad speech uh, actually means that this is up for negotiation. Now this is something to be specified further He apparently didn't want to go into details there because that would raise, I think, the greatest attention uh, elsewhere and possibly uh, rejection in places like Berlin.
1: But there are two things that he added, which is, first, that France is doing its part in terms of reforms, structural economic reforms. And second, that his ideas, his plan was in no way about the mutualization of past debts. So these were two messages to the German audience.
2: Future debt, you know, if you issue common bonds, that is basically future debt.
0: So um, one other kind of... i love to come to the political reactions in Berlin and uh, how that's going to work. But maybe one other thing which might be interesting to some people
1: um, is some of the ideas about institutional reform. Who wants to talk about that? Well, so there's a big institutional dimension to his Eurozone governance thing yeah. because of the parliament and the minister of the Eurozone. but. Um, Except for that, he, he, didn't, he wanted to be as much out of the very institutionalized discussion that usually you would get on this. Although he did mention a few things. He did mention, for instance, that the commission should be much more um, limited in numbers and that the founding members, for instance, could um, decide not to have nationals as commissioner. So there were a few ideas. That's 15, an old
2: French idea, by the way. Commissioners, yeah, Fifteen including
1: commissioners, including not yeah. having a French one including yeah. not having a French one. Yeah. So,
0: uh, so an idea which always sounds better in theory than, than in practice for, but for member you know, states. It's, it's
2: taken up an old French proposal.
0: Well, it was. It, this was a plan, wasn't it, in the, in the European constitution to reduce the number then, of commissioners. Then he has something there. And then they there. changed their minds after yeah. the Irish voted yeah. no.
2: He has something there for, for the traditional uh, Europeanists, which is the transnational lists. Uh, lists. To the European yeah. Parliament. And suggesting that that in the next a parliamentary election after the 2019. So the 2024 uh, elections to the European Parliament, the majority of seats should be uh, decided by uh, transnationalists. Now, but he,
0: always, he wants some to be in place for 2019 as well. Yes. Yes. He wants some which, to be in place for 2019. Which means
1: we would need to agree on that pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. So how much of this was just virtue signaling um, and distraction? Because he said he was going to do the speech before. He's showing that he's kind of wonderfully pro-European, putting loads of extra ideas
1: out there. And how much of this was a real plan of action? I think one of the things that Macron keeps saying is he doesn't want to be the usual French government, which comes with a few plans for the six first months and then does nothing. He wants to use the full five-year term. And what he said about that speech is it's a sense of direction and it's a plan for the next 10 years. So he's, he's obviously not saying we're going to do all these in the next six months, although there are a few topics on which he wants to decide pretty quickly. Eurozone governance clearly is something that he would like to be able to move forward on uh, as soon as possible. But he's giving the direction with those big, bold ideas and he wants to move forward Uh, over over the next at least five years of of his term. So one of the interesting questions is precisely is there going to be a sequence, is there going to be priorities in all those ideas? I think he's going to try to move on the the six areas but probably not at the same pace and that will depend a lot on what uh, others say, including uh, Germany to begin with. And for Macron it's important that, I don't think that Macron's plan is okay, Eurozone governance is not going to work I need a lot of other stuff to balance it out. He wants to get moving on his priorities, and his priorities surely are defence, migration, uh, climate um, and Eurozone governance. So he, he addressed Angela Merkel directly in the speech and he
0: said, I know of her commitment to Europe facing the nationalist forces at home. Her answer will be neither to retreat nor intimidation. For her as well, it will be courage and a feeling of historic moment in history. Do you think that's right, Josef? Uh, yeah, I think the, the,
2: uh, he's right in saying so. But I think it's there, the, there's, a, there's a, a broader line in this uh, that is uh, also the appeal to the Élysée Treaty yeah. is sort of suggesting to the Germans to say, look, we've, we've got to reconnect to this special historic sense of these two countries uh, being the essential drivers of uh, the future of integration. So he wants to appeal to this uh, and he wants to appeal to the uh, German side to say uh, think equally big, think equally fundamental uh, about Europe. And I think he's he's also and, and you you barely notice it in the in the width of all the proposals there are some some ideas in there that could be could be quite revolutionary. So he hints for example that France uh, should uh, uh, reconsider uh, what has become a taboo, the common agricultural policy. If actually the French would do that in cooperation with the Germans, that would open up an enormous uh, flexibility mm, so on the, the EU budget in yeah. the next MFF because, you know, CAP still takes up 40% of the EU budget. So if you basically totally restructure this, you win a lot of room uh, to do things in a very different way. Uh, He has uh, some remarks also on structural funds, which he would like to become more uh, specific, yeah, and more conditional.
1: Which is exactly what the German thinking is uh, about it. More conditional, meaning you Mm. would access the fund only if you respect certain rules in terms of dumping, on taxes, on social uh, law.
0: Yeah. So that does not have to be decided unanimously.
2: Uh, No, but it would have to be decided unanimously. No, no, it would have to be decided. But it already uh, shows what a common negotiating position in the MFF negotiations of uh, France and Germany, plus their friends could be.
0: Yeah, so how so given that the main audience for this big speech was in Berlin and uh, how much uncertainty there is about the coalition negotiations and how they're going to work. How do you think, Josef, this is going to play into those negotiations? Was it smart of Macron to come out and lay his vision out before the, uh, the negotiations are completed? Is this something which is going to shape them in a helpful way? Or has he just given the more Eurosceptic forces in German politics a big target to shoot at? And lots of stuff for the... In our last podcast, we talked about the FDP and and Lindner and, and his worries about socialized debt and things like that? Has he now just got more things to say no to? Or is this something which might actually move the ball forward?
2: Well, there are a couple of things in there which appeal very much to the classic uh, faction of the Europeanists uh, in all of the mainstream parties. You know, which has to do with the with the soft side of it with that we discussed. Uh, there is a couple of things in there that will appeal uh, very much to the greens, but also to the to the kind of the, the social wing, the more uh, centre left wing of the Christian Democratic Party, like a European minimum wage, uh, you know, adjusted to the standards of living in the countries. That is something uh, that, that people uh, find reasonable. But you will see from the reactions that uh, uh, the liberals will criticise the etatism. That is in there. Uh, the Greens will praise the fact that that environment and social equality uh, is in the speech. So everyone, you know, has the opportunity to pick at least some of the aspects uh, that they would like to to emphasize in order to underline their own uh, preferences and positions. I think overall it has been smart to to lay out a, a big package. Uh, such a big package is less scary than a package that only has. Two or three uh, uh, proposals that that are somewhat complicated in Berlin. Uh, so this package is so rich that uh, uh, everyone can say yes to some of these elements, and I think that may have also been the
1: calculation. And that that's probably less scary in Berlin. Hopefully, it is. It's also less scary for the others. I think th- obviously the first audience, the main audience, was in Berlin, and that's how it was framed. That's how it was pinned to the press, etc. But he also mentioned that he, doesn't, he didn't want um, um, France or France and Germany to decide on their own and that he knows that it's not possible. He insisted that he has met with uh, 22 of his EU counterparts. Uh, and I think that from these meetings with his counterparts, he got a sense of up to which point flexibility, for instance flexible Europe, is a concern for some that you have diver- different views on the social uh, issues, or on the climate, or on energy, or on defence, and that he has framed it in a way where almost every constituency in the EU can find something that is relevant and that shows that the, this kind of new phase of the European construction is not going to be built only around the Eurozone and about, around the Franco-German so, uh, leadership for the Eurozone. So who there's are more the unlucky six who haven't got to meet Macron yet? I suspect there's Poland and Hungary. Okay. And then for the four others, uh, you would need to research that. Do a bit of deeper research. Yeah, but I'm sure he has a plan to meet with them soon. <laughs> Including Poland and Hungary? <laughs> no, the four others.
0: <laughs> How much of uh, this is going to appeal to those other 22 member states i mean which you know we are there particular things which have just been put in in order to maximize the coalition because there is a, a kind of fear in many member states that all this franco-german stuff is quite exclusive is trying to recreate a, a european union of yesteryear uh pre-enlargement and there's a sort of degree of of, of uh, complaining both in southern european countries that they're not there, but also in Eastern and Central
1: Europe? But uh. First, you have a number of these countries who actually are willing uh, to see the EU move on those topics. For instance, uh, Spain did proposals on Eurozone governance, which are not far from the French uh, position. Second, precisely, he made those institutional, uh, he put forward these institutional ideas on the Commission and on Parliament, which are kind of tokens given to those countries to say, look, we're not looking about dominating the world situation here, and we are willing to share uh, power and decision-making more. He also uh, he, he did not only uh, uh, look at other member states, he also was quite supportive of the Commission, which often other countries see as a protection or at least a, a triangle opening the game between France and Germany. And Juncker has, was pretty quick in reacting very positively. Obviously, Juncker and. A, is in a better position, more comfortable position, to react quickly than the German chancellor is, but he reacted very quickly. And if you look at his speech on the state of the EU... uh, The Juncker speech. The Juncker speech. There was a lot that fits with what Macron uh, said today. But actually, maybe we should dwell on that a little bit. We did
0: an earlier episode of this um, where we talked about the the Juncker speech, um, and uh, it was pretty different in its tone and also the basic idea it was much less flexible europe much more doing things at 27 and um he had some big virtue signaling ideas which obviously never happen as well like having a unified president etc so there are quite a few uh (laughs) areas of read across where people are talking about the long term but sort of probably beyond their political horizons um, but they, they were very different. I mean, this is a much more um, n- nation state, flexible, driven idea of Europe than the, than the Juncker one did.
2: Yes, it is, but it has, you know, in, in some aspects of it, appeal to the classic institutional thinking in Brussels, like the European Parliament uh, proposition, this transnational thing, um, a streamlined uh, European Commission, uh, even though it's complicated for the Commission. I think they, they quite like the idea because it makes them. Uh, more effective, so so he tries to to uh, provide something for many. Um, also, look at look at the uh, proposals uh, on trade. Now, there is quite a significant uh, part part in that in that speech that that uh, s- tries to signal to European publics. Um, we we have understood that you are scared of globalization, that you are scared of being uh, outmaneuvered by producers which produce at much lower standards in the environment. So he's proposing a carbon duty to be collected at the border to level the playing field between European producers and and uh, supposedly Asian producers. All of that, that is appeals to the social debates that go on in many member states.
0: So what are, if you had to name like, the five or six ideas that are definitely going to be nine for, for, for German political parties, what would they be?
2: I think the intervention force I don't see as a common force. No. Um, I still believe that the European finance minister uh, is a no. Mm-hmm. Um, on the budget, uh, I think it's it's not so clear. Uh, as long as you don't call it a real budget, but have a, a, a financial facility, uh, you can do that. As, um, as
1: long as it's bigger than what Merkel said, I'm not sure Macron insists on the terminology. But yeah. the, the question is more about the size yeah. of it. Yeah. But is it just to understand? Is it about uh, the, the Jamaica coalition, or any coalition would be along the positions that you're mentioning? I think it is. It is you know, either one or the other uh, would be. You
2: know, in the, the social democrats, I think would would have more of a favorable notion when it comes to the eurozone proposals. Uh, in the Jamaica coalition, basically the Greens are the principal uh, uh, stakeholder compatible to the Macron line, and and they are simply not strong enough. Now, I think another one of those uh, no's would be the innovation uh, agency. Sure, one can do something like that, but not at the, in the role and at the, at the, at the weight that Macron has given it uh, in his speech.
0: And what happens next? So um, Manuel, why don't you tell us a bit about how the French are thinking about the next steps? Because this is obviously part of a concerted plan. It wasn't just the speech. It's part of a strategy for refounding Europe.
1: Well, Part of what comes next is uh, what do we do while we're waiting for the next German coalition and, and the basis, the political basis for it, that will be the coalition agreement. I suspect Macron is going to continue precisely working with others to build coalitions, but EU coalitions, EU-wide coalitions rather than uh, a German uh, coalition, in terms of finding uh, what are the, the one, those of these proposals that it can move forward Uh, and and push uh, and also discuss with Merkel. He's he's kept saying that he believes in Merkel, he believes in his personal relation with Mm -hmm. Merkel, but he believes in Merkel uh, doing the right thing. So he will try to have some influence, not as in public as with this speech, but some influence in the way Merkel um, is going to to deal with this uh, coalition building uh, exercise. The thing is, um, the, the French are worried that uh, then if we get late on this coalition building in uh, Germany, we arrive at a moment where we'll be very close to the heart, the, cr- the crunch time uh, of the negotiation, both on Brexit and on that multi-annual financial framework, which is the EU long-term budget. Uh, and some of these issues you would ideally need to move on or at least have a kind of a consensus on the fact that you're going to move on them prior to this period. So on the eurozone governance and the budget, for instance, it would be good if there would be some agreement in principle uh, pretty quickly with the new German government. So it's wait until the government is there, make your position as strong as possible for that moment, but then probably move quite quickly on, on not just the lower hanging fruits, but also the most significant one that you want to push forward.
2: Josef, what do you think? I think the next step will actually be uh, to work quickly on a major Franco-German declaration. Uh, either either a, a political declaration or actually an action plan uh, of the two, which will involve um, a, a bilateral chapter where both countries commit to take forward a number of the uh, proposals raised in this speech, uh, and and confirm that that both of their governments are working on the details uh, now, and probably uh, uh, that will be focused around the next anniversary of the of yeah. the Elysee Treaty, which is January. Yeah, which yeah. is January, and I think it's the 55th anniversary. Wow. If so I'm it's not a, mistaken. so It's, so it's an it's, it's important a, anniversary. Well, it's a bit of a, uh, you can make it a symbolic year. 55th anniversary. Yeah. Um, and then secondly, uh, I believe Manuel is, is absolutely right that before uh, the more divisive parts begin about MFF uh, to... MFF for you know, The multi-annual financial framework. The seven-year financial planning period <laughs> uh, to, to get some of the uh, key aspects locked in. You know, and, and there the speech, as we have discussed, has some, some, some uh, offerings uh, that could uh, um, create a more dynamic negotiation environment. But you need to be uh, in agreement with some of your principal partners, what you want
0: in return. OK, well, we'll definitely be coming back before the iconic 55th anniversary of the Élysée Treaty to see how much of this speech has had resonance in different places and to go into a bit more detail, particularly on the foreign and security policy things. But it's been uh, it's been great getting your hot take on this speech, which could end up being a really, really important speech in the history of the European Union. We will um, put a link up to Macron's speech on our website, which is www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please don't hesitate to let everyone that you know know about it by writing about it on your Facebook page or on ours tweeting about it but above all there's still a very small number of incredible end of the world coffee mugs available to the people who submit the very very best report uh, reviews of our podcast on iTunes so if you would like to get one of these much coveted mugs which say the end of the world is near but the coffee is hot then send me a photo or a link to your review at mark.leonard at ecfr.eu but for now from Manuel lafond Abnoui, Joseph Janning and myself Mark Leonard it's goodbye. The researcher of ECFL's podcast is Jonathan Hakenbosch and our editor is Pauline Goemi.